without being able to show your vulnerabilities or these sort of pain points, then no one can help solve them or help you work through them. I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. I want to start off today by welcoming all of the new listeners. Thank you for joining the journey. We're excited to have you along for the ride. And also a heads up, we have learned this last week that 25 of our episodes on the Apple podcast in iTunes have not been showing up in the feed, and they are now. So if you go back to the beginning with Mark Cuban, Troy Aikman, Sophia Amoruso, Simon Sinek, Lewis Howes. All of those early episodes, they they were not available for some reason in the app, but we have that fixed now. So if you didn't see those, go ahead and check them out. They're some of my faves. And today we have Amy Stanton on the show. Amy is a friend of mine, and she has a company called Stanton and Company, which is a full-service PR agency, marketing agency. They represent some of the biggest female personalities and athletes in the world. Amy has a passion for promoting and building positive female role models. Prior to starting her own company more than a decade ago, Amy was the chief marketing officer for the Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia Company, so the whole shebang for Martha Stewart. And prior to that, she was the director of marketing for getting the New York 2012 Olympic bid out there. She's done some pretty neat things, working with a lot of big brands and has some solid, legit business experience. She just wrote a book called The Feminine Revolution. And we talk about that word feminine and how much of an interesting connotation it's taken on over the years. This is a completely different lens on that word. And this book really takes a different look at what it means to be feminine, what the traits mean, and why they are such an asset. She co-wrote this book with Catherine Connors, and the forward is by Gabby Reese, who has also been on the Why Not Now podcast, so you can check out her episode in conjunction with her husband, who has been on the show too, Laird Hamilton. I have so much respect for Amy Stanton, and I'm excited for you to learn from her. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before. 
In the spirit of things we don't typically talk about, you should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery, the original before-you-go toilet spray. It's magic. My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of you-know-what. This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit Poopery.com and Why Not Now listeners get 20% off with code Why Not Now. That's all one word. And you can hear the story about Poopery in our interview with founder Susie Batiste. That's Why Not Now, episode 28. Poopery is also available at Bed Bath & Beyond. Amy, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to connect with you today. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm so excited to connect with you and very fired up about this conversation. Likewise. Likewise. We have so much to dig into. But let's start with first things first. Can you tell me about a time when you had to ask yourself, why not now? So my why not now moment was when I started my business, which is now called Stanton & Company. And it was about 12 years ago. I had always wanted to start my own business. Everyone in my family is entrepreneurial. I grew up thinking it was really easy to start a business. And if all these different family members could do it, I, it was in my blood and I was going to do it too. And yet I started my career working in big companies and big organizations and wasn't sure exactly how or when the opportunity would present itself. And I was at the time working for Martha Stewart and I was the first ever chief marketing officer. I had just come out of an amazing role as the head of marketing and PR for New York's Olympic bid where I was super inspired, felt like I was making a positive impact in the world. It was right after 9-11 when we were trying to bring back some joy and hope for New York City. And so coming out of that, almost anything would have felt a bit of a bit different. And so my role at Martha was interesting in so many ways because I wasn't super tapped into the Martha Stewart living way of life. I had so much respect for Martha and knew I had a lot to learn, <laughs> but I wasn't necessarily a typical Martha Stewart person. So the role in some ways was challenging for me, not because I wasn't connected to the content, but more because I was coming in and trying to unify these four different divisions. And politically, it was a bit of a, a landmine. And I realized that I wasn't making a lot of progress. And out of what I perceived to be sort of left field, my position was eliminated. And I'd never had anything like that in my entire life happen. I'd always, at least in my mind, <laughs> thrived in my work experiences and roles. And this was kind of a rude awakening. Uh, in the back of my mind at that time, I had actually started thinking about building this business focused on women's sports and female athletes. And it had come from my work on the Olympic bid and meeting these amazing Olympic athletes specifically who were not only the best in their sport, but also oftentimes really nice people, great students, family-oriented, wanted to make a positive impact in the world. And I thought, God, these are really the role models of the future. And, and specifically, I felt like we needed more female role models. And so I wanted to start a company focused on women's sports and female athletes. And with the elimination of my role at Martha, there was no better time than to do it. I really sort of felt like the universe was 
pushing me in the direction to make that happen, whether I was ready for it or not. So people ever, everyone said, you're crazy, Amy, there's no money in women's sports. And that of course only made me want to try it even more. And if you look at the landscape 12 years ago, the women's sports space was so different and the women's space more broadly was completely different. And there really were so many fewer women that were elevated and had a voice. And it excites me now, 12 years later, and my business is more broadly focused in the healthy, active living space, still with a large focus on women. I feel like societally, so much has been accomplished and so many things have evolved in a positive way. Clearly, we have a long way to go. It's funny knowing you as a friend and Martha Stewart, I just wouldn't have pegged you as the, you know, the exact CMO necessarily. So that's fun. That's interesting that you call that out. But so, so this happens and you, was it just a, I'm doing it right away. And you knew when this, you know, transition was in front of you, there was just no doubt or how did the decision-making go from wanting to do this to actually deciding to do it? Well, I had started putting feelers out and talking to people about the idea. I There was a woman I had worked with during the Olympic bid named Cheryl Shade, and she and I were talking about partnering together. And at exactly that time, I received an offer to be the chief marketing officer of Sports Illustrated, which of course not only sounded like a great opportunity, but was very closely aligned with some of the work that I had done on the Olympic bid and would have been a pretty smooth transition from my role at Martha in a lot of ways. And yet in my heart, I knew it was time to start my own business and to just take this leap of faith because I knew that was my destiny to be an entrepreneur and to experience all of the things that go along with that. So to say that it happened overnight would be understating how any business starts. But Mm -hmm. yes, I, I did on a specific day, say no thank you to the offer at Sports Illustrated. And then there I went, you know, Cheryl and I decided to partner together. We were partners for the first two years of the business. And I think in some ways, just having another person to celebrate with and commiserate with and create some accountability made things move along more quickly. And yeah, one foot in front of the other, like everything in life. Wow. It's interesting that this happened right after some potential perceived adversity um, with your role, you know, not being available anymore. It was, I've heard people say before, sometimes like all the right things and all the wrong things happened at the right time (laughs) or, Mm. you know, just like leveraging what appears to be adversity that's just being disguised as a true asset. So thank goodness for that because it was your green light. I mean, it was like a springboard. And then, gosh, I mean, what a badass 12 years ago also to be able to pick between starting your own company or being the CMO of SI. Um, It's just so cool. So fast forward, here you have built what you intended to do. I mean, you're working with some of the most powerful, large female athletes out there and doing things that are just incredible. Would you say that, and I I would like to transition too into the book that you just wrote that's coming out and it's all related. And would you say that over the years with your company, your, your vision has changed or in your purpose, or is it still pretty aligned from the get-go? I think it's a combination of both. Uh, There's no question that 
when I set out to build this business, one of the primary reasons was because I wanted there to be more positive female role models for women, positive messaging for and around women. And that is without question still at the heart of what we do. That said, what what started as a more narrow focus on female athletes and women's sports has evolved to be bigger picture, healthy, active living. So sports is still a piece of that, but as is the case with women and how they interact with sports, sports is a part of their lifestyle and a part of this broader way of life, including the way you eat and the beauty products that you use and how you take care of yourself mentally and emotionally. And so we do a lot of work in the natural food space and beauty and health and wellness. And we, we work mostly with brands, but still, as you mentioned, a number of amazing female athletes and lifestyle experts. So in in some ways, it's still totally aligned with what I originally had envisioned. And in some ways, it's evolved to be more than I envisioned and probably easily could say more aligned with me and my lifestyle Uh, as each day goes by, because these are people and brands that I'm personally inspired by and that fit into my life. And that I, I never feel like, even though we're doing marketing and PR, I never feel like we're selling because these Mm -hmm. are things that really align with my belief system and our belief system. It's interesting to kind of just witness that maybe the last, I don't know, maybe we've known each other for four or five years, probably at least. Um, and some of the parallels that you and I have had with mm. me coming from the NBA and some of the other more structured sports leagues and then your path too. And when we first met, I could tell that we had a similar um, just style in terms of you know, just maybe more assertive and strong women that needed to – I don't want to speak for you, but I know for myself, at one point I overcorrected on the masculine side thinking I needed to <laughs> in order to kind of play the game and to be equal or that have you. And there was a time where, and you included this in your book, I just saw it in there, um, when you and I, I think we were at South by Southwest and you were wearing the rose quartz around your neck, your necklace, and you mentioned that you were on a mission to kind of soften your heart. And so I can't wait for you to share a little more of that story. But also, would you say that was a parlay into the desire to write this book, The Feminine Revolution? Yes, no question about it. I I think people ask me why I wrote the book, and I'm not even really sure it was a decision I made. It's something that I believe I really am sort of a channel for, which it's funny because it relates to the exact conversation where the rose quartz came from as well, <laughs> which is that I was in, I went, I go to this great little salon called Queen Bee in Culver City for, and I was getting a manicure there and they have facials as well. And one of the facialists who was to have to be walking by while I was getting a manicure said, she's a medium as it turns out, as Many people in Los Angeles do many things. Mm-hmm. And so a medium meaning she can communicate with other spirits or people that have come or gone and is receiving messages. So she sat down and said, would you like some information? And believe me, I would never turn an opportunity for that kind of information down. Same. So, <laughs> <laughs> so she said, she started by saying, 
that she said, Amy, you believe that when good things happen or bad things happen, that they're because of you. It took me a minute. And she's, and she said that they're not, she said that these are things that are happening and you're a part of it and you need to sort of see it that way. At first I sort of took offense to that. I mean, not outwardly, but in myself, because I felt like, Oh, she's like, I don't even think of myself as someone who's patting myself on the back all the time. But what I did realize is that certainly on the negative side, she was right where a lot of times I would feel like, oh, if it's possible that I I said something or did something that caused that to happen. And, you know, I, I would just take I would took things pretty hard and I still do to a degree, I suppose. And after she mentioned that, you know, in a way, I processing that information, it takes the load off because suddenly I was no longer really responsible mm-hmm. for feeling like I could control everything all the time. There's an aspect of what she was saying, which was all about surrender and just acknowledging that, that I am a part of a process and I'm a part of something. When I contribute to something, that's because let's say I, I write a, a presentation. The ideas came through me. I was able to put them on paper. If it was a successful presentation, that's all wonderful. I should feel great about that, but I don't, it's not because of me. I'm simply sort of a cog in the wheel. And similarly, I feel that with the book, I think that through my own personal experiences and certainly feeling a lot of the things you were just alluding to, wondering if I had sort of, because naturally our models for leaders have historically been men because for the longest time leaders were men, women trying to thrive in the workplace have modeled ourselves after men and taken on these more masculine mm-hmm. traits and qualities, whether it's assertiveness or toughness or directness. And those are really great qualities, by the way, and super effective. But I started wondering and if I was overcorrecting and maybe those qualities were suppressing or repressing some of my more feminine qualities because I'm inside an incredibly sensitive person. And I am a crier and I'm highly emotional and passionate and, and felt like maybe I wasn't letting some of those things shine through because I had been told by enough people, toughen up, Amy, or you're being too mm-hmm. sensitive. That's even as a kid, you know, as a kid or in early performance reviews, don't take things personally at the office. And all of that contributes to this process of feeling like you need to toughen up. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, by the way, because I think to a degree that's useful. And I look at some of my most amazing mentors and bosses and they have been men and they've taught me the value of directness and assertiveness and toughness in the right circumstances. But what I started wondering is if the reason I hadn't met Prince Charming was because I was suddenly bringing this tougher, more assertive work persona into my dating life. And that question hasn't been answered yet, although I'm more aware (laughs) than ever of, (laughs) of the value of my more feminine qualities. And that's really what the book is about, which is taking the idea of femininity in general being perceived as weak and 21 feminine qualities that have been perceived as weaknesses and turning that on its head and showing that actually our sensitivity is our power. The f- our emotionality is what allows us to connect with people and be our best, whether that's in professional relationships or in personal relationships. And that there's actually benefit to crying openly with people and showing this other side of yourself. So if taking the whole idea that femininity is weak and turning that on its head and showing that it's actually a power with the goal of letting 
people, women, but also men, figure out who they are and live their most authentic lives. So feeling like we don't have to hide this part of ourselves anymore. So we're excited about it because uh, my co-author, Catherine Connors, and I have been talking about this for five years, literally. I had been thinking about it prior to that, met her through a friend. We were super inspired by each other. And then last year I said, Catherine, let's just do this together because clearly every year would go by and I would say, this is the year. It has to come out this year. And this really is the year. So it's really exciting for it to come to fruition. And before I, before we move on, I will quickly tell the Rose Quartz piece of the story, which is that medium said to me, you should wear Rose Quartz around your neck every single day. And immediately I was like, oh, because I started visualizing the cheap rose quartz that you buy on Venice Beach on the, <laughs> the old silver sure. chain. And I was thinking, this woman doesn't realize this, but there's just not any scenario where I'm going to be wearing one of those around my neck every single day. And I then went back and had a conversation with one of my dearest friends who happens to be a jewelry designer. And she, she said, I think I can make something for you. So she created this beautiful one of a kind rose quartz necklace with rose gold and brown diamond, so it's a little bit a little bit of a step up from <laughs> the Venice Beach Rose slightly. Quartz, just slightly. And I truly do wear it every single day, and I have for the past several years since I had this conversation. So, and I do believe that my heart is opening. So that's the power of rose quartz is it's a heart. Amazing! I was so excited when I saw that story in the book and. One of the things that, and by the way, forward by Gabby Reese, who's been on this show too, so is Laird Hamilton. So that was uh, pretty cool to, to hear her thoughts as well. One of the things that just was like, aha, to me when I was reading the book was this um, relationship between, and just the semantics around authenticity and femininity. And I can say for me personally, and I definitely overcorrected and and skewed more toward my masculine traits, which I I tend to anyway by default. I think I'm just a little bit more masculine in general. But I know I got to a point where I was out of alignment and, and really definitely not being fully myself and fully authentic. And um, that can get dangerous and definitely ran into some trouble with that formula. But in the book, you you have this way of kind of describing the, what if we almost replaced the word femininity? Because it can have such different connotations with just authenticity. To me, there was this click and I was like, aha, because growing up, I didn't want to be a feminist. I didn't want to be rah-rah kind of in that camp. You know, I just wanted to be equal and do my thing and not be thought of as like the person that's going to be pushing back and claiming that they don't have an equal chance because I just thought that wasn't playing the game. And so I know this has all shifted so much, but that the authenticity to me, that's where it just really clicked that word. So thank you. It's interesting because every one of us as you said, is a combination of masculine and feminine. And we would never, we, we recognize that part of the exploration exploration here is that each person gets to figure out for his or herself what the right balance is and what feels good. 
And in, as you read through the book, each of the chapters is a different quality. We know that some of those qualities are going to resonate for certain people and others for others. And it's a journey. And, and mm-hmm. some of it is about sparking, it's almost reminding us that actually we have these gifts and that maybe we don't perceive them as gifts because society has been labeling them a certain way or society may not value being quote unquote mothering, but obviously being a mother and being mothering, meaning caring for others, those around you, these are, that's one of the most important roles that a woman can play. And, and you don't actually have to be a mother in order to be, to do that. And I'm mothering to my employees and mothering to my friends. And we've created this language, which is derogatory, but really it's, it's, and the book is intended to kind of highlight that. Like, how do we talk about these things and, and how do we figure out who we are and what feels right for us and, and what is authentic? You know, we're certainly not suggesting that anyone sort of turn into a new person next day and work as a, a, a 180 version of themselves. Suddenly all the feminine qualities front and center were saying, there's a lot of subtlety and nuance to it where we may not even realize that maybe there is a part of us that we aren't letting shine through like or or even in certain circumstances we've we've made ourselves feel like oh the idea of seductiveness is a negative thing because it sounds like it's manipulation but actually seductiveness could be as simple as sitting back and kind of working a room in the context of a business meeting in, in powerful ways that allows you to more effectively communicate your point and or solve a client's problems and or sell a new campaign through. And you can do that in a seductive way and be proud of that and not feel like you should feel guilty. It's not that you're just using your seductive powers for the purpose of sex, which is, you know, the negative side of things. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a fun journey. I actually have had fun with it throughout the process of writing the book, because as you can imagine, and as you know, from your own personal experience, writing a book, there are ups and downs. And, and Catherine and I actually had such a great alignment and the way we work together couldn't have been more collaborative and, and respectful and sort of celebrating each other. And that said, there are moments where we had lots of conversations with the publisher about the title and we had, you know, our own opinions about things that, that maybe were different from how the sort of traditional publishing world would perceive things being, how things should go. And so at those moments I would say to myself, okay, Amy, how would I bring a feminine approach to this? How would I Mm. bring a softer, more graceful approach, how would I walk the walk? You know, mm-hmm. how would I actually implement these ideas that we're talking about in the book? And the more I do it, the more I find it to be not only effective, but also I feel so much better about it because I don't like having to be the tough guy. I mean, there's sometimes it's required running a business. Yes, of course. And there are times where I do have to be the bad cop, but, but more times than not, I think there we can bring this grace to every situation. And It's going to work out better for everyone. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I am looking for someone to mentor. So I've partnered with Bumble Biz to find the right match. You hear me talk about mentorship all the time on this show. 
because my mentors have been massively critical in helping me navigate my windy career path and my life. And I want the same for you. I want you to have access to a mentor just like I've had. So I want to connect with you on Bumble Biz. You're probably familiar with Bumble for dating or even Bumble Friendship, known as Bumble BFF. Well, Bumble Biz is career-focused. It's stacked with business opportunities, and it's a smart way to expand your network. I'm on the app now, and I will be picking someone to match up with for a mentorship in the very near future. So if you're interested in getting some guidance and spending one-on-one time with me, Download Bumble and switch your mode by pressing the logo at the top and move into Bumble Biz. So try it now because if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? Why not now? And if you're not familiar with Bumble, put them on your radar. I have had a crush on this brand since the early days. And I'm thrilled that we are taking things to the next level with this partnership. Hi, everyone. If you are digging this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It just takes a moment and it means a ton to us. Also, after recording more than 100 episodes, I've created a bit of a cheat sheet on the top five things I've learned from Renegades and how they get from idea to action, from dreaming to doing. I will email you the downloadable PDF when you subscribe to my newsletter. Just head to amyjomartin.com and click on connect with me. I love that you got to apply these qualities, these 21 different qualities to this process and um, the strength through grace. I think that is just a beautiful phrase too that, that you refer to. So let's talk about vulnerability for a minute. And this is brought up in the book toward the end. I'm trying to re- remember which chapter it falls on under. What does vulnerability mean to you, Amy? Well, I think vulnerability kind of gets at the heart of the overall premise that femininity is weak. So in this case, vulnerability means showing these parts of ourselves that we or even others might perceive as weaknesses. And that I think crying openly is showing your vulnerability. Being emotional is showing your vulnerability. Showing the places where you might have some pain or fear and allowing those things to be available for other people to see and and then potentially even assist with or help without being able to show your vulnerabilities or these sort of pain points, then no one can help solve them or help you work through them. And a friend of mine just sent me an article about how asking others for help actually brings you closer together. And I thought that was so interesting, especially because going through this process with the book, I've been so incredibly blessed because people are really, including you, obviously, extremely grateful to you. But people have offered to help in whatever ways that they can. And at the same time, plenty of people would be willing to help if I just asked. And in, and this article makes it mm-hmm. actually sound like they'll, in the long run, our relationships will be stronger if I'm willing to ask. So as much as it's challenging for some of us that are not used to asking for much from people because that feels vulnerable and that feels like you're really putting yourself out there and it actually has a lot of power behind it. 
Mm, absolutely. It's true. And it's, I think, the, um, the give and take. And people like to help. It makes them feel good, right? There's ser- mm-hmm. serotonin there and a, a mm-hmm. serotonin exchange. So where, so target audience wise for this book, as I was reading through and I, you know, you and I have talked about it in the past and I had an idea of, of it conceptually and I was like, okay, so clearly, obviously this is great for women to read. If you would have written this anytime before 2018, it may not land the same. I mean, this is opposite of what people would tell me 15, 10 years ago, right? But that being said, men, I really hope men read this book too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't agree more um, about the timing. And it's that's why it's funny that five years ago and every year since I've said, oh, this is the year, this is the year, this is the year now. Like this clearly is the the best time for this to come out because it is coming out. And I think in a way, and this is without getting too political, I think we could all agree that there's a lot of toxic masculinity in the culture these days that is creating separation between people and anger and in some cases physical violence and all kinds of things. And I really do believe that femininity and the power of feminine qualities is what can help serve that and Mm -hmm. help cure that. And it could be the antidote because ultimately, and, and this doesn't necessarily mean, sure, I'd be thrilled if there are more female leaders and more female politicians, and that's all great if those are truly the best candidates and the best people for the job. At the same time, you know, infusing our culture, men and women, with more of the gentleness and the softness and the better communication and more emotionality and more heart and more grace, you know, that that would be good for the world. I agree. And I'm glad, you know, on your cover you have, you know, the feminine revolution, 21 ways to ignite the power of your femininity for a brighter life and a better world. And I I totally agree at the macro level, this will shift things and and areas that must shift, first of all, that are completely off balance. But several years ago, I wrote, or I I didn't write write a book. Several years ago, I read a book called The Athena Doctrine. And I cannot tell a lie, I did not read every page, but I did, you know, is one of those books. But it's in theory and, and in general. That's where I better understood there's there's a spectrum of traits here. It's not just, of course, men and women. They did a you know, ton of research, and among 64,000 people they surveyed in 13 nations, two-thirds said the world would be a better place if men thought more like women. It just, it, it was like one of those, okay, it's something we kind of know, obviously, and, and intuitively, But it's also nice to know, you know, that was across 13 nations and a lot of people. And this isn't this isn't just kind of an opinion. There's a lot of of data behind it, too. And that the exchange imbalance, I think, is just it's got to be huge for shifting every issue that we're going Mm -hmm. through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, clearly we can think of lots of things that are happening culturally where a different approach might result in a different outcome. 
and maybe one that's more universally well received or more just sort of the higher road. And that's, mm-hmm. that's ultimately, I think what we would all hope for is that it starts with us. And, and there's so many important conversations going on around feminism, equal rights, female empowerment. Mm-hmm. We definitely applaud all of that. And I, I would identify as a feminist for sure. Uh, although I struggle with some of the same things you mentioned, which is I don't want to be in a fight. I want to, I, I want to be in a world where everybody is together recognizing the benefits of bringing everyone up, women and Mm -hmm. men. And that's obviously something we can all work towards. What we realized is nobody was talking about femininity and that this is an opportunity to give each woman and man for that matter, a tool to start that exploration on a personal level. So Mm -hmm. if we all do that individually, then the net net would be more feminine, qualities front and center and celebrated and embraced and a shifting environment, which is ultimately what we need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's why I love this angle. It's, it's different. It's very different than the, the conversation and the direction. It's all obviously relative and, and connected, but this is a refreshing uh, unique, <laughs> uh, unmatched approach. So, uh, so this is a little bit of a different skew to the conversation and and switching gears is maybe not connected to the book necessarily but I respect your opinion so much and you've you've been in many different cultures and and kind of systems per se if if we're to look at the way our society and let's say the business world especially and political system too is currently structured it's you know it's a triangle it's a pyramid the the power is at the top and do you believe that in order to shift power and even balance more, someone has to give up power? Well, the first thing I was thinking about as you were describing the triangle and then asked the question was that ultimately our system is supposed to have checks and balances, which means that while, sure, we have one person at the top who's ultimately the final word, there are systems and people in place that would allow for there to be a more balanced approach that regardless, like no one party of power can kind of disrupt things to such an extreme degree. (laughs) And even, would you say even in corporate, not just political, but with boards, right? Like with a board of directors. Exactly. Right. So in general, that's, that I think is how the power has been intended to be structured in society, politics, business, et cetera. Instead of, I guess what I wish for is not necessarily that people would give up power, but that they would see it as a benefit for there to be shared responsibility, shared power, and that the different points of view collectively actually make us more powerful collectively. So the sum is greater than the whole of its parts. And that, that you know, and, and I'm, it's actually as much as that may have taken us away from the conversation about femininity, I think it's closely related because we're not saying that we need to move to a world where femininity is in charge. Mm-hmm. We're saying that if there's more balance, because as I said from the beginning, the masculine qualities are really important. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we value those in, in so many ways and, and they are important for a thriving society and any, and, and for us as individuals. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, the whole idea of power is such an interesting one to think about because 
there's this sort of traditional model for power, which is that someone, one person has power over another, but then there's also the idea of collective power and, and a, a bigger picture win as a result of that. And so I think it's almost how you, it's all how you sort of think about it. And, and right now, I think a lot of us are thinking a lot about it mm-hmm. and and kind of wondering what we can do, you know, and, and what's the, really the benefit of power. I mean, for example, whenever women, when, whenever people talk about women these days, you hear the word empowerment 4,000 times, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's like the most overused yep. word. And I'm not really a fan of that word because empowerment for women means that someone else has to be giving them the power, us, mm-hmm. the power. When really what we like to talk about is unleashing your power or exercising your power or finding your power, not not that someone else needs to give it to you. So And embracing. Um, right. Like yeah, a, exactly. Versus a transfer of or someone deeming you power like coming from the external. That makes yeah, empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Um, okay, so Couple of quick questions for you. Do you have an all-time favorite book? My favorite book is Shantaram, mm-hmm. which is an epic journey through India. And I read it several years ago and actually went to India for the first time last year. And I knew I would love India as much as I did because of this book. So and that it's is huge, it's right? Super inspiring on so many levels. He has a huge book, like nine hundred. I have pages. it in my library, and I should. I it's just been there. My best friend gave it to me years ago, so I might pull it out after that. Okay, what keeps you up at night? You just kind of mentioned this, but you can <laughs> you can share. Yeah, right now the feeling of there's more to do. You know, I can never do enough, and yeah. that that feeling of endless opportunity really. And wanting to make sure that I'm not sort of leaving no stone unturned, which, by the way, there are a lot of unturned stones, and I have to just come to terms with that. Going back to the surrender thing, but you know, just having that feeling of like there's purpose here, and wanting to really make the most of it. What a great thing! If you're going to be kept up at night, you know, it's a pretty positive thing. Of there's so many opportunities, it really is. And um, pirates or ninjas, Amy, who's tougher and why? Wow. Um, Ninjas, I, well, I think they're both tough, by the way. And, and <laughs> Who's more feminine? I, I don't want to take anything away from either of them for obvious reasons. I think pirates are tougher on the outside and ninjas are tougher on the inside. So I would, if it were up to me, I'd have one on one side and one on the other. You Wow. And that's a nice little, just kind of nod to the book as well. And last question, what advice would you give to your younger self, Amy? I am extremely fortunate because I grew up with a grandfather who always knew the right thing to say at every single moment in time. And he had a bunch of different expressions, many of which sort of laddered up to the same idea. But he would, in no uncertain terms, tell me that everything is going to be okay. And it always was, and it always is. And if anything, I just wish that I, as a younger version of myself, was able to to tell myself that without needing this sort of external reinforcement. And by the way, we still all have those moments where we're not sure it's all going to be okay. But I think the evidence tells us otherwise, you know, that, that mm-hmm. even the things that we see as the biggest crisis end up either being okay or better than okay, because they lead us to some sort of 
gift. So I think just a sense of okayness and being able to tell tell her, you know what, just hang on for the ride and that you can fail and crumble and that all these things can happen to you and that you are going to survive and, if anything, thrive as a result of that. I wish that I wish she knew that then. Mm. Oh, my gosh, Amy. I'm so excited for the world to read this book and it to be out there. And congratulations. And thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much. It's really an honor to be on your show. And I adore you and think the world of you. And I feel like sharing this is, I feel like it's a gift to me to be able to share it. And I appreciate that you recognize that too and are are helping in all the ways that you are. So thank you. everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Jo Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your why not now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to why not now at amyjomartin.com. For show notes and other offers, you can visit amyjomartin.com forward slash why not now. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements. A big thanks to Rock Salt Music for all of the tunes by the talented John Coggins. And of course, a hat tip to Richard Gruer for editing and producing the show. I'll see you next time. And until then, why not now? Mm-hmm.